All right, I will say good morning. Let us begin. A beautiful, beautiful daf ahead of us today. Begin by thanking our sponsors, our Tamil Torah sponsors for the month of Adar Aleph. Paul and Kathy Pollock for dedicating all of the Sherman Drushels this month in memory of Paul's grandparents, Zachariah Ben Zachariah and Dina Bas Rabdov. Art and Sherry Miller for dedicating the Shi'urim and Joshua's this month, loving memory of Art's brother, Richard Miller, Ruvain ben Bitzalel Verachel. We also thank our week of learning sponsor, Ayal Steinberg, for dedicating the Shi'urim this week in the Schluss of Rafu Shlema for Shulamis Bas Susha. We hope that she, together with Kol Chole Yisrael, will have a complete and enduring Rafua. And I both say with that, let us, let us begin. Okay. I think we're good. I think we're good. We're good. All right. So, we'll see. so today's daf. Today's daf is daf dalid. Right? Daf dalid. So we are picking up Emirat Hashem four. We are picking up on the bottom of Gimel Ahmed Bays, and we are picking up seven lines up from the bottom. So we'll say a really fascinating sugya today. The Gemara says as follows: So remember again, we'll say as you could see, the derech of the Gemara. What we're doing over here is. We're going ahead and we're defining our terms. So remember again, yesterday's daf we were discussing the concept of a cheresh. What is a cheresh? So we saw there's a concept of a complete cheresh, a partial cheresh. So to in today's daf we focus on the idea, what's the definition of a shota? So again, we normally translate the shota as someone who is insane, lacking mental capacity. Well, how do you gauge that? How do you gauge that? So it says the Gimar, shota. Person who goes out by himself at night, or someone who goes ahead and sleeps in the cemetery, or someone who goes ahead and tears his clothing. So it's interesting. Someone who actively puts himself in danger. So a person who actively puts himself in danger is considered black mental capacity. Sleeping in the cemetery? Again, also, that might not be a danger piece. But that's clearly, uh, you know, an aberration of normal behavior. Tearing one's clothing is engaging in active, destructive behavior for no purpose. So again, these, if a person does these things, he's a shota. Now here's the interesting shayla. Ravuna says, by the way, it's not one of the three, but what? It's all three. It's all three. Rav Yochanan says, no, 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 even if you just display one of these behaviors, ultimately, again, that is enough to render you a shota. So the Gemara says, so what's the context? So I'll say, if we see a person exhibiting one of these behaviors and it's clearly done in an irrational capacity, so why should you need all three? Even one of these behaviors should be enough to render a person a shota. And if both say, let's say a person does these things, but it's not Darachstos. Most of it means it's not Darachstos. In other words, he has an explanation for why he's doing these things. Then ultimately, again, even if he did all three of them, it shouldn't render him a Shota. So what's the context to which the Gemara says, you're right. In reality, the situation we're dealing with over here is where a person, did these actions in a context that looks like they lack mental capacity. But even so, even so, oh, even so, Rav Huna would still say that you require all three. Why? Because, you know, here's what's interesting. Each one of these actions independently can be explained. How so? Watch this. 
Let's say a person sleeps in a cemetery. So a person can have a good explanation. Why am I sleeping in the cemetery? Literally because I want the spirit of impurity to rest on me. Now, why, why would someone want that? Look at the last Rashi on the days. I always wanted to be a mechashef. I always wanted to be a sorcerer. Right? So in order to be able, I'm reading a little too much Harry Potter maybe. Right? So, I wanted, so I'm going ahead. Right? So I'm going ahead and sleeping in the cemetery. Because again, this way, again, the shaydim, every day, shaydim hang out in the cemetery. So even though it looks crazy, there may be a method to the madness. I, I'm looking to become, I'm looking for this spirit of impurity to rest upon me. So the Gemara says, this is very interesting. And when a person goes ahead and goes out at night, there could be an explanation for this as well. Amar Gandrifos Achde. Say perhaps that again, Gandrifos took hold of him. What's Gandrifos? We'll say, take a look at that last Rashi, the Olam de Kablu Derach Shtos. You see Rashi there? Actually, sorry, it's the second to last Rashi. So, so what's Gandrifos? Rashi says, Anishamati. Rashi says, Gandrifos, Gandrifos is literally illness that takes hold of a person as a result of worry. Or perhaps what he's talking about over here is a person is having a panic attack or a person has extreme anxiety. So what happens sometimes when a person is suffering from extreme anxiety, they just need to get out. I just need to get out, right? I'm, ha- I'm, I'm, ha- I'm very anxious over here. I just need to get out. I, it's not a good idea to go ahead and walk outside alone at night. It's true. You know what's even worse? What's even worse is to be confined during an anxiety attack. So I'll say, isn't, isn't, isn't this fascinating? And by the way, what's also so profound about this is that sometimes the way we deal with anxiety is in non-productive matters, in non-productive manners. In other words, let's say it's actually it's an incredible yisod. So a lot of us have anxiety about different things. I don't even mean necessarily like a diagnosed anxiety disorder. There are just many things that make us anxious or maybe some things that make us very anxious. And sometimes when I'm anxious about something, we deal with that anxiety in unhealthy ways. People use all different types of things as an escape from anxiety, and those escapes sometimes are just as counterproductive as the anxiety itself. So it's incredible where the Gemara says, is this guy's walking outside and they say, ah, Shota. Maybe he's not a Shota. Maybe he's just guy Sha'achsu Gandrifos. Gandrifos, ultimately again, Cholia Ochez Mitoch Daiga. Maybe he just has a lot of anxiety. And to deal with his anxiety, he's taking a walk at night, and even though it's not the best idea, it may be the best idea for him right now. Rashi gives another interpretation of Or there's another possibility. The other possibility is he's really hot. Right? He's really hot. It's really hot in the house, right? So therefore he's going, he's going outside. He's going outside for a walk in order to cool off, right? His body temperature is very high. So I will say, so the idea over here is, and here's what's fascinating. Sometimes you see people engaging in behaviors that are actively bad ideas, right? That behavior is bad. But sometimes what drives them to the bad behavior may ultimately, again, be something underlying. I will say, by the way, I just want to tell you, it's an incredible episode when, when dealing with children, with young adults. You know, sometimes you see children, teenagers doing things that are just crazy, that are just crazy and just actively harmful and counterproductive. And it's so easy to say, ah, bad kid, 
bad kid, off the derech, off this. It's so incredible. Sometimes you see people doing things that are really not good. You have to try to understand, like, what, what are the underlying factors? But it's not just true with, with teenagers. True with adults also. If you believe that people are good, if you really believe that people, which you have to. See, there are some people that walk through life and they feel that everybody's bad. You know those people? Those are the people you stay away from because generally they're exceptionally bitter themselves. You have to believe that people are good. So if you believe that people are good and then you see people do bad things, which inevitably happens, you have to try to understand what's going on in your life that's caused you to engage in this negative behavior. Isn't that what's happening over here? You have a guy walking around that night. It's easy to say, Shota, Shota, you're a fool. The Gemara says, yeah, it's foolish behavior, but sometimes even foolish behavior has very reasonable underpinnings. Isn't that an incredible usode? Sometimes foolish behavior has reasonable underpinnings. The behavior is still bad. Find other ways to deal with your anxiety. Buy yourself an air conditioner, right? Do whatever you have to do. Don't walk outside at night. But Lamaisa, what a profound usode. Sometimes even the most egregious, irrational behavior actually comes from a rational place. Incredible. Says the Gemara, and if someone goes out and tears his clothing, ultimately again saying, means he's just preoccupied. He's just, you know, sometimes also when you're preoccupied, you're not thinking about what you're doing. So he's thinking about something else. He's a Bal We should all become a Bal right? People who think a lot. He's so preoccupied with his thoughts that he just tears his clothing. So the Gemara says, therefore, I will say, here's what's interesting. In Rafuna's world, in Rafuna's model, he says, when a person does any of these one behaviors, they can be explained. So therefore, Afuna says, But once you do all three of these things, I'm sorry. It's interesting, Allah. A little bit, of, a little bit in Baba Kama. So bring us back, maybe some of us to our elementary school days. I will say so. In Baba Kama, you know, there's a concept of a shar becoming a muad, right? If a shar, there's a short tam and a short muad. A short tam is what we will call a non-habitual offender, first-time gorer, if that's the right word. First-time gorer. So I will say, so th- first time an animal gores another gore. Ultimately, again, there's a certain penalty. Once the animal becomes a muad, a habitual offender, so obviously, again, the punishment is much more intense. So normally it takes three times to become a muad. So you, you, you gore the first time, second time, you're a tam, third time you become a muad. Here's what's interesting. If you have one shur, one axle that gores, that gores a shar, a chamar, and a gamal. It goes ahead and it gores another ox, a donkey, and a camel. Such an animal like that, such an animal like that, ultimately, again, is considered to be a muad immediately, even though it did not gore the same type of animal three times. Because the idea is, if you're such a chutzpah de gore, right, that you gore anything and everything, then Lamai say, you're a muad immediately. So Ravuna will say the same idea. Ravuna will say, <coughs> Ravuna will say that halacha Lamaisa, if you're doing all three of these things, you're sleeping in a cemetery, you're tearing your clothing, and you're walking alone outside at night, here's what's interesting. Each one of these things by themselves, would it make you a shota? Each one of these things by themselves, you could kind of explain in a rational way. But all three of them together, 
That's a shota. So Rapapa Rapapa says as follows Ishmiele the Rafuna Hadisanya. If Rafuna would have heard the following Braisa, Ezohi Shota, what's the definition of a shota? Hama Abid is Komashinostimbo. Well he's interesting. Another definition of a shota. A shota is someone who loses everything you give him. In other words, he doesn't have the ability to watch over something. So if you give him something, he immediately loses it. So the Gemara says, had Rafuna heard that, Haderbe, he would have retracted his position because here the Brisa clearly says, even one behavior is enough to render you a shote. When we say that Rafuna would have retracted, would he just have retracted his position regarding tearing of clothing, that that by itself is enough to render you a shote? Because we'll say tearing one's clothing is kind of like losing any object that's entrusted to you. Because both represent what? Destructive, destructive behavior. But maybe by the other ones, he would still say you need more than one behavior. Take But we'll say, just by the way, how do we paskin? Because it's actually very important. How do we paskin in terms of the definition of a shota? Is it one of the behaviors or all of the behaviors? So I'll say the Shukhanarach paskins in a number of different places that are local one of the behaviors. So a person is classified as a shota if he exhibits any one of these behaviors. So either sleeping in the cemetery, walking alone at night, walking alone at, or, or tearing his clothing. Now, both say, now the, the Shukhanarach gives a qualifier. The qualifier is, Vohu sha'asahu derech shtos. In other words, it only renders you a shota if you do engage in these actions in the context of what we'll call lacking mental capacity. So as I said, obviously, a person who's an avel who tears his clothing doesn't become a shota, right? Why? Why? Because the act is purposeful. If I'm walking home alone at night because I'm coming from a shira, I'm coming from a shalom zakhar, that's not a shota, right? That person sleeps in the cemetery because he got into a fight with his wife. Right? So, so, so by the way, you laugh, but remember, that's the Gemara Masechah's brachas. We had that story of the chassid who slept in the cemetery on the night of Rosh Hashanah. Right? So you got into a fight with your wife and you have no good friends. Right? So I'll say, so now again, there's no one's couch to crash on. So you are now in the cemetery. So we'll say, so therefore again, the idea, and this is very important. So we pass in the halach any one of these things by themselves is enough to categorize you as a shota, as long as it occurred in the context derech shtos. In a context where the behavior is totally nonsensical and seems to lack any, any, any shred of das. Incredible. So remember again, the next two people excluded who are, who are potter from, uh, from the Olasri are tumtum and androgynous. So just to define our terms, the tumtum is the individual whose sexual organs are covered over by a membrane. The androgynous, right, is literally like an androgynous someone who possesses both male and female sexual organs. So both of these people are exempt from the Ola Asriya. says the Gimartan Rabbanon, Zohar, when the Torah says Zohar, that comes to exclude women. That women are not obligated in the Ola Asriya. Zichurcha, lahoti tumtum androgynous. The word Zichurcha comes to exclude tumtum and androgynous. Kol Zichurcha, all of your males, the rabbos and comes to exclude children from the mitzvah of Ola Asriya. Asriya says, let's analyze this. So he told me the word Zohar comes to exclude women. Why do I need a passage to exclude women? Right? 
Both say there's a simpler exemption for women. Right? All Asriya is a time-bound commandment. Women are exempt from all time-bound commandments. I don't need a Pasuk. Ah, I'll tell you why. All right, so we go back to what we saw two days ago in the first half of Chagiga, one of the most, most important Limudim, from Olas Ria to Hakel. And I might have thought, therefore, women are obligated in Hakel. They are obligated in Hakel. So I might have thought, just like they're obligated in Hakel, so to what? So to what? They're obligated in Olas Re'iyah. Kamash Malon, Kamash Zachar, comes to go ahead and exclude women. Good. Amr Mar, Zuchurcha Lahoti Tumtum Ba'adrojinus. So Zuchurcha comes to exclude Tumtum and Androgynous. So the Gemara says, Bishlama Androgynous. I understand Androgynous. Remember again, Androgynous possesses both male and female organs. Itzterich. I might have thought that because an androgynous does possess male qualities, right? Does possess male sexual organs, then maybe it should be treated. It should be treated like a zahar, like a man, and should be chayiv. Kamash malon the beria bifne This is really quite fascinating from a halachic perspective. An androgynous is neither male nor female. An androgynous is Beria Bifne Atzmo, is its own entity. Now, I will say this is very important because what it's saying is, therefore, any of the halachos that govern a man or a woman will not apply to an androgynous. But the Havamina is that since the androgynous has male qualities, perhaps Luchumra, we should treat it like a man. So, I will say this is very, very interesting, but a tumtum, remember again, tumtum is a person where the sexual organs are covered over by a membrane. And therefore, again, we don't know what the gender of this person is. So, Sveikahu, it's a Sveikah. Me, it's Sveika. Do we need a Pasuk, ultimately, again, to go ahead and exclude a Sveikah? Now, I will say, it happens to be the Tosis challenges this. Tosis says, Sveikah? Well, it's a Sveikah. What should the halacha be? What should the halacha be? This is the Chumrah. Because isn't this a suffix in a Darais? Okay, so Tosis has a whole piece on this. We're not going to get into this topic. So Sigmar says, no, no, no. An interesting case. Amr Abaye, what's the case? What's the case? Kishabetsav mibachutz. They both say the case is where the person's testicles are apparent, but the rest of the male sexual organ is hidden by the membrane. So what, what does this mean? Look at Rashi. Kishabetsav mibachutz. Eva shagit tamon dehavadai zocherhu. Obviously, if the testicles are outside of the membrane, that means what? This person is male. This person is male. That, that's, that, that's what it means. Also, remember again, unlike the androgynous, who has both sets of qualities, right? The tumtum, we assume, is either male or female. It's just that the sexual organ is covered over by a membrane. If the testicles are outside of the membrane, that means the person's a male. Interestingly enough, despite the fact that the person's a male, there's still a pasek to exclude this type of male from Olasriya. So in this case, there's no gender ambiguity. But nevertheless, there is a pasek that excludes this type of man. And by the way, we see this. There are many types of men who are excluded from Olasriya. We're going to see a crippled man, a man who can't walk, right? A blind man. So this is another type of man that is exempt. So the Gemara is looking at Rashi. Kishvetsim b'chutz elu shagit tamon davadai zocherhu 
Hilchok Itzrich Kralim Eute. Shabbos says it's interesting. Therefore, this person, this again, here we know he's a man. We know he's a man. But Lamais is still going to be exempt from all that. Riyah Amar Mar. Kol Zechorchal Rabos Azaktanim. So Kol Zechorchal comes to include Kitanim that children are obligated. That children are obligated. So Gemara says, "Vatnan chutz mecheres shot of a cotton." But we learned in the Mishnah that a cheres shot of a cotton are not obligated in olas reiya. To which the Gemara says, "Rabbi Lokashia can be cotton shegil lechinoch, can be cotton shloigin lechinoch." So we'll say ultimately again two different types of kitanim. One is a cotton that has not reached chinoch. Such a child is exempt. And ultimately again, here we're talking about a child who he did reach the age of chinoch. Who will be chayiv? To which the Gemara says, "One second, So the Gemara says, "But a child who reached the age of chinuch, such a child is only chayiv bidrabanon, right?" So the Gemara says, "Most so that's the case. How are you using a pasuk to go ahead and generate his obligation?" To which the Gemara says, "You're right. You're right. A cotton who reached the age of chinuch, reached the age of education." Is chayiv midrabanon, right? The Gemara is just bringing a pasuk as an asmachta. We know this concept that sometimes again the Gemara will bring a pasuk to kind of create a scriptural allusion for a rabbinic law. The din is a din drabanon, din drabanon. But ultimately again we bring a pasuk to support the din drabanon. So the Gemara says ve'ela ve'ela kra l'may asa. So if that's the case, then ultimately again calls the churcha. Is not really the source to obligate Kitanim, because Kitanim who reach the age of Chinuch are only Chayav Midrabanon. If that's the case, then what does Kol Zechorcha come to teach me? Lechid Achirim. This is not Achirim Omrim, but this is actually very interesting. Hamakamets, Mamatsarif Nechoshes, Vaborsi, Piturim in Listen to this. To teach us that there are other people who are exempt from, from the midst of Re'iyah. Right from the midst of, of Aliyah Laregah, of, of Re'iyah. Who are they? Listen to this. Mekamets. Rashi says, Mekamets is a guy. Rashi says, Mekamets biadot soas klovim. Vomer Ani Svos, listen to this. So this is a guy who collects dog excrement with his hands. Now, why does he collect it with, now why is he collecting dog excrement altogether? For tanning purposes. Because remember again, so excrement was often used for tanning. So this is a guy, he works for the tanner and he collects excrement with his hands. Or, Mitzarif Nechoshes, who is the individual who goes ahead and smelts iron, uh, brass, excuse me, copper, sorry, smelts copper, right? Or Borsia Tanner. Both of us come to Namdir amongst all of these people, they have a terrible odor. And sometimes when a person is working in these industries each and every day, the odor seeps into their skin to the point that they're unable to rid themselves of the odor. So if you are a person who, because of your profession, unfortunately has a terrible odor, the Gemara says such an individual is, is exempt from Re'iyah. Is exempt from Re'iyah. The Pasuk one describing the mitzvah of Re'iyah says all of your males. And what does that teach me? Who's bound by the Pasuk? Someone who's able to go ahead and be all the regal with everyone else. In other words, that you could stand side by side with other people. Comes to exclude these other individuals who because of their odor don't have the ability really to be around other people. An incredible, incredible story. We'll say now again, it goes without saying, it's not the pshat. The Ramah brings this out. It's not the pshat 
that these people are categorically exempted from Ali other ego. Let's say again, guys have these professions, but the I don't know, they use good soap or whatever it is, they're able to read themselves. Obviously, if you can read yourself of the order, you're obligated. We're talking about over here a situation where a person has this profession and they can't rid themselves of the odor. Kol Zechurcha comes along to say, you are not obligated in Aliyah Lerago. Also, there might be another, a, a number of other interesting applications to this, which is it could be maybe based on this also, maybe someone who's incontinent, right? And therefore, again, is also unable to control an odor. Maybe such a person also would be exempt from Aliyah Lerago in such a situation. Or a person who has other digestive issues or other things like that, which kind of create a constant odor around them, perhaps such a person like that would also be exempt from Aliyah Lerago. Okay, interesting. Noshim va'avadim shena m'shikram. So we'll say again, the Gemara goes on, women and avadim who are not emancipated are popped from Aliyah Lerago. Says the Gemara, bishlaman noshim kida amran. So women we understand because it's a mitzvah sasei shazman grama. Fine. avadim How do we know that avadim are exempt? Listen to this. Because the Pasik says, Why do you why are you all Hashem. Three times a year you go up to see your master Hashem. What do we learn from this? So who's obligated in Ali al Ragal? A person only has one master. Comes to exclude the Eved, who has another master as well. Must say, absolutely incredible. I lamali krabal. Why do I need a pasuk to exclude the Eved? Michdi comments a sheisha chayeves ba Eved chayiv ba comments a sheisha chayeves ba in the Eved chayiv ba the gamar la la miisha. Must say we already know that Allah Elamais and Eved Kenani has the same halachic obligations as a Jewish woman. So once you've stat, once you've once we've t- said that a woman is exempt. From being Olaregal, so an Evid is exempt as well from being Olaregal. Why do I need this whole drush over here? Abravino, Lo Nitzchabo says, goes back to Daf Beis, Lo Nitzchabo Ella, Lemisha Chetziav, Evid, the Chetziav, and Chorin. Oh, it will say, it goes back to the following case. Remember, again, we had this opening Gemara Mesachas Chagiga. It refers to someone who is a half Evid, half free man. Remember, again, we had this case. Evid is owned by Ruven and Shimon. Ruven emancipates his part, Shimon does not. The emancipated part of the Eved becomes a free man. So now you literally have an Eved who is half free, half Eved. So the Gemara now is suggesting that when we say that Avadim are not obligated to go ahead. And in Re'iyah, we're talking about a Chatsi Eved, Chatsi Ben Choren. The Mishnah itself said women and non-emancipated slaves. What does it mean they're not emancipated? If you want to say that they're not emancipated at all. Listen, Avadim Stama. Just say Avadim. Just say Avadim. Why the when we're talking about non-emancipated, we mean slaves who are not fully emancipated. What's an example of a not fully emancipated slave? Sorry. So we'll say, so therefore again, the Mishnah must mean that it's talking about a chatsi avid chatsi v'chorin. I remember again, to link this back to Dath Beis, remember again, I will say, that this is not Allah Lamaisa. Because remember again, remember we saw in the Sugya of Chatsi Abid Chatsi Ben Chorin that what happened? Originally it was Machlokis Besham Besilal. What do you do with the Chatsi Abid Chatsi Ben Chorin? So what did Besilal say? Work for yourself one day, your master one day. Beishama is the one who said, What? That's crazy. That's crazy. The guy is going to be stuck in limbo, specifically regarding marriage. 
He can't marry a Jewish woman because of the Tzad Avdus Shavu, because he's a part Evan. He can't marry a Shifcha because he's part Jewish. So therefore, again, Beis Shammai says, what do we do? We force his master to emancipate him. And the Evan has now a debt of 50% of his value to the master who just emancipated him. Remember again, what did the Gemara say? Chazru, Beis Silo came around to this. Therefore, we pass, and interestingly enough, that Echatzi Evan Chatzi Ben Chorin will be chayiv in Ri'iyah, because since even though now he's only partially emancipated, we're going to force the remaining master to go and emancipate the remaining avdus, it's as if he's already emancipated, and therefore is chayiv in Aliyah Lerega. Incredible. Says the Gemara, Remember again, next case, next case was the person who was crippled, the person who was blind, Ill or old. Turn up on to listen to this. Regalim. When they remember again, the Torah refers to the pilgrimage festivals as regalim. So I will say regalim is also what? Raglayim. Feet. Where does this come to teach? Prat Labale Kabin. This was yesterday's daft. This comes to exclude a person who has a prosthetic. A person who has a prosthetic doesn't have their own feet, their own legs. Ultimately, they're potter. So regalim. Prat Lechiger. Ulechola. Ulesuma. Ulezakein. So I'll say ultimately, again, the other passage is, what does Regalim teach me? Someone who's crippled, someone who's sick, someone who's blind, someone who's old, and someone who's unable to walk up on his own feet. When that category of someone who's unable to walk on his own feet, what else does that come to include? Both of this is fascinating. Amarava comes to include Listen to this. Someone who is a Mifunak. Very fastidious. Very fastidious. And it doesn't mean very fastidious. Look at the top Rashi in the Mefanki. Shein holchin below min'al. They both said there are some people, there are some people who can't walk without shoes. Can't walk without shoes. Can't walk without shoes. They ain't, they say, now what's, what's the problem if you can't walk without shoes? Here's the problem. You're not allowed to wear shoes into the courtyard of the Beis HaMikdash. So I will say, you might have a person who says, you know what, I'm just too sensitive. I'm too sensitive, I can't walk without shoes. And ultimately, again, therefore, such a person, the Gemara is looking at Rashi, Shein holkin below minal, de'in adam nichnas laharabayis b'mina alo. A person is not allowed to come onto the harabayis, not just the basement, just the harabayis itself, with his shoes. D'chsev, we'll see in just a moment. D'chsev, ki savo'u liros, back to the Gemara, ki savo'u, ki savo'u liros panai, when you come to go ahead, who asked you to trample? Who asked you to trample my courtyard? So I'll say, so the idea over here is that when you come, now it's interesting, by the way, where exactly we learn out the source for not wearing shoes on the Harabayas. Here I'll say, the Gemara says, so again, it sounds like, don't trample my courtyard. From here we learn, you don't wear shoes in the base of the Tosus points out, that we, I thought we learned this out from Moshe Rabbeinu and the Sneh, that by right time, when Moshe Rabbeinu was about to come close to the Sneh, to the bush, to the burning bush, Hashem says to him, Shalom That's the top tosas over here. So again, tosas says essentially we use both. We use both. Shalom ultimately again, is kind of like the source for this idea that when you come close to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, you take off your shoes. But ultimately, this Pasuk really makes explicit reference to coming into the Mikdash itself. 
And we'll say, Shem Hirsch explains, why don't we wear shoes? Why don't we wear shoes inside of the court, on the Harabayas? Shoes give us a certain sense of confidence. Certain sense of confidence. And ultimately, again, a certain, so when I, and therefore, before HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the idea before the Baruch Shalom, you have to give up any sense of personalistic confidence and make yourself wholly reliant on HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So that's why it's not just shoes you can't wear. What else can't you bring with you to the base HaMikdosh? Can't bring your wallet, because your wallet, right? Your wallet gives you a sense of confidence, right? I've got my cash, I've got my credit cards, uh, you know, I've got, you know, in Baltimore, my concealed carry, right? I've got, right? I've got, right? I've got, I've got everything, right? So I, I have everything that, that I need to give myself a sense, a sense of confidence. And I have everything. Your walking stick, right? Your walking stick also, right? If these are things that give you confidence, when you come over HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the whole Yisod of coming Lifnei Hashem, the whole Yisod is you give up the things that give you confidence, that give you a sense of autonomy, and you make yourself fully and wholly reliant on the Rebano Shal Olam. That's the Yisod of coming Lifnei Hashem. So therefore the Gemara says, interestingly enough, if you're the kind of person that can't walk around without shoes, you're a fastidious person, you don't like walking barefoot on the ground, it makes it a little squeamish. You would be exempt from Ali al which is quite interesting. So the Gemara goes out to the Gemara says, Tana, Tana ha'aral vata. We'll say, I'll just point out, totally different Maramako. In the, in, in the Friday Wall Street Journal, they had a, they had a piece that's in the op-ed pages about this woman's writing, I think it was the op-ed pages, this woman was writing about people who make other people take their shoes off when they walk in their home. It was like an open letter to people who have shoeless homes. And the chutzpah in asking people to take off their shoes when they come into your home. It was actually, it was, it was quite fascinating. Interesting idea. This was kind of like the episode, like, like don't, don't doubt my hygiene habits. My shoes are clean. You have a doormat. If you have a doormat, I'm going to wipe my shoes, right? And ultimately, and she says, ah, E. coli, this, that. Just calm down, calm down. E. coli is everywhere, right? So just, just an interesting idea about not being an overly fastidious person. Good. So the Gemara goes right there. The Gemara says, Tana, Arava, Tame, Petra, so the Gemara goes right there. The RL, the Tame, a person who's uncircumcised, person who's Tame, is part of from Ri'ya. Rashi says, now what does this mean? Now, this can't be, this can't be literal because obviously a person who's Tame, a person who's Tame, can he come to the base of No. So what does it mean? So look at Rashi. Paterminar Ri'ya means, So this is very interesting. What it means is like this. Let's say a person, now a person, we know, a person who is uncircumcised, and, and by the way, the uncircumcised context of here, Rashi says is, Yisol Shemesu Echav Machmas Mila. We're talking about someone, we'll say there's a concept like this in Halacha, of Mesu Echav Machmas Mila. Let's say you have a boy, and his older brothers died as a result of Bris Mila. Okay? Now, say, now, contemporarily, we know that what does this mean? It's a family of hemophiliacs. Right? So now, Bose, remember again, in the times of the Gemara, it's times of the Gemara, so you didn't know that somebody had hemophilia, you give a boy a brismila, there's no clotting agent, Rahman al-Islam, the child bleeds out, the child dies as a result of brismila. So unfortunately, sometimes they would only recognize this after this happened a couple of times. So you would not be mouthed, this happened twice, you would not circumcise the third child. So that's their child again, we don't circumcise him. But Lamaisa, he has the status of an RL, he's uncircumcised. Well, someone who's in RL and someone who is Tame is not permitted to come to the base Hamikdash. So here, here's the Havamina. You might have thought, however, maybe they're obligated 
to send an Olas Re'iyah via a Shaliach, by an agent. Okay, I, I can't come. I'm, I'm Tommy. I'm an Aral. I can't come. But Lameisa, Lameisa, maybe I should have to send a Karban through an agent. To which the Gemara says, no. There's someone who's Tommy, someone who's an Aral is Potter from the Karban altogether. Obviously, I can't bring it myself, but I also don't have to send it through an agent. Bishlama Tommy Dixiv. Ubasa Shama Vevesim Shama. Pasik says, You shall come there and bring there Koshiesh Nobabia Yesh Nobava. So by the time I understand, whoever could come to the Mikdash ultimately could bring the carbon. How do we know ultimately again that an Oral is not even Chayiv to go ahead and send the carbon? To which the Gemara says, Hamani Rabbi Akiva he, the Marbi la Oral Kitame, Rabbi Akiva treats an Oral. Like a person who was Tommy. This sign Rabbi Kiva Omer, Ish Ish, the Rabbos Esharel. Rabbi Akiva makes a drosha, Ish Ish, and Ish Ish ultimately again comes to include an RL as well. Incredible. Tarabanan, Tommy Potter Minariya, someone who is Tommy is Potter from Riya. The Rabbos say once again, when we say Potter Minariya, of course he can't come to the Mikdash, and not only that, but what? He's not obligated to send a carbon with a shaliach either. The Pasik says, You will come there and bring there. Same just we just had before. If you could come to the base of Mikdash, you have an obligation to bring the carbon. If you can't come, you don't have an obligation to bring it. Well, so we had this drasha again two days ago. We had on the first day, first day of the first day of the Masechta. So I'll say, what did we say? Someone who was blind in one eye is potter from Riya. Why? Shene Amar Yira Yerae Kederech Sheba Liros Kach Ba Liros. Let's remember again. This was the drasha. Yira Yerae. The way that Hashem comes to see, Hashem wants to be seen. Hashem comes to see Kaviyaho with two eyes. He wants to be seen with two eyes. Just like Hashem comes to see us with his two eyes, so too he comes to be seen with two eyes. And if I don't have two eyes, I'm blind in one eye. I am potter from Ria. Incredible. So Rav Huna, so we'll see now the Gemara is going to launch into a little bit of Agarata. So, so we're going to see some beautiful, beautiful agarets now. It's going to go through the next daf. Chagiga has some magnificent agarata. Again, agarata interlaced with halakha, or halakha interlaced with agarata. So watch this. Rav Huna, kimata the haikra, yira yira e bachi. Rav Huna, when he got to this pasuk, right? Shalosh pamim, yira. So when he got to this pasuk, ultimately again, of yira yira e, he used to cry. Amar evet shiraba mitzapa lo liroso. So I will say, again, I'm a servant whose master so badly yearns to see him. Because I will say, again, the Pasik's telling me that Halacha Lamaisa, again, Pasik tells me that HaKadosh Baruch who yearns to see me. How could it be that a, 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 a servant whose master yearns to see him so badly, Yisrachik Mimenu, could become so distant? Dixiv ki liros panai when you come to see me, who asked you to trample on my courtyard? What's happening over here, we're going to see this on a number of different occasions, is these Rabbanim are contrasting psukim. 
There's a Pasuk that talks about the incredible closeness that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has to his people. And then a Pasuk that highlights the unfortunate divide which occurs between Hashem and his people. So you have a Pasuk that tells me about the need to come to be seen by Hashem. The Master wants to see me so badly. And then the same Master says, how dare you trample on my courtyard. Rav Huna kimat bachi. Rav Huna, when he got to this Pasuk, he would cry, <laughs> You shall offer up shlamim and you shall eat them there. Now, I will say that's a good pasuk. That's talking about us, about us bringing karbanos to the base hamikdash. And yet, the Gemara says, "Eved sherabo sherabo mitzapel leachol al shulchano." An eved whose master looks forward to having him eat at his table. Eating at his table is a reference to bringing karbanos in the base hamikdash. Yisrachik mimenu could chas hashalom become so distant? First, wide line dechsev. So the same God that says, that invites us to come and offer up Karbanos and eat by his table, then says, what do I need all of your offerings for? So we'll say to study in contrast, how sometimes again, there's the ability for this incredible closeness with and then at the end of the day, Kaddish Baruch who's saying, what do I need all of your Karbanos for? And you see again, these Rabbanim would cry when they would see these contrasts. Because a relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, like any life relationship, could be so beautiful, could be so magnificent, if nurtured. Right? Also like any relationship, if you want your relationships to be good, whatever relationship it is, your children, your parents, your friends, your spouse, you have to pay attention to the relationship. But if I neglect the relationship, it simply decays. So these Talmudim were crying because they see these psukim that highlight the ability to have such a profound closeness, but yet other psukim that highlight this incredible divide and how something so beautiful could be something so distant and decayed is what they cried about. Rabbi Lazar, Kimati Lahai Krabachir, we'll say, get ready for this. A little bit of a different vein. Rabbi Lazar said, when he got to this passage, he cried. What did he cry? Remember again, this is by Yosef. By Yosef, right? The brothers were unable to answer him because they became overwhelmed. So this is when Yosef revealed his identity. The brothers are so overwhelmed that they're unable to say anything. So Rabbi Lazar said, if this is the rebuke that one man gives to another, that renders him speechless, can you imagine after 120, when we suffer the rebuke of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, what is going to happen? Now, Bosai, this Gemara is quite fascinating because the Gemara calls Yosef's words a rebuke. But remember again, Bosai, what's the Pasuk? So the Pasuk in its totality is, Vayomer Yosef el Echav, Ani Yosef, Haoda Bichai. I am Yosef, is my father alive? His brothers were unable to answer because they were simply overwhelmed from his presence. So I will say, it's interesting. Did Yosef rebuke his brothers? Did he rebuke his brothers? No. He didn't rebuke his... He, he actually just said, it's me. It's me. Ani Yosef. Is my father still alive? I will say, see something amazing. That sometimes the greatest form of rebuke is MS, is truth. You see, we're interesting beings, and we have an incredible way of ignoring MS, of ignoring the truth, right? We, we, we know certain, I, I know this, in my, in my day-to-day life, I know certain things are wrong, but I, I do them anyway. How do I reconcile that? 
Because they make excuses. It's not so bad. It's not as bad as it could be. It could be worse. I'm growing. I'm this. I'm that. I have a friend who does it. I once saw in Dafyomi. I think I heard they quote someone said it's mutter. Right? So as I said, we, we're, we're, we, it's incredible. By the way, the Bonshan program does mamish like with an incredible mind. An incredible mind to be able to do these things. And so what I do is I, I, I create alternate realities for myself. The greatest form of tohacha, the greatest form of rebuke, is not someone telling me, like, we, like when we think about rebuke, we think about someone's, ah, yeah, you're this, you're that, how dare you, that, like, rebuke is, like, strong. No, sometimes the greatest tohacha is MS. It's just MS. Ani Yosef I'm not dead. You made up a story. Or at least you allowed father to believe a story. I'm Yosef, I'm, I'm here, I'm here. Ha'od avichai. That's Tochach. Both say, you know what happens after 120? You know what happens? See, the Rebbe Shalom loves us. Loves us. I mean, I don't know what happens after 120. But here's what I would like to think. The Rebbe Shalom loves us. He loves us more than we could ever imagine. And he's not waiting there for us at the pearly gates, you know, waiting to slam us in front of the Beisdin Shalmala, right? Gathering all of our friends and family over the last generations in order to humiliate us in judgment in front of previous... That's not what he's looking to do. But you know what does happen after 120? You have to confront the life that you lived. That's all. That's all. It's just MS. You see, in the Basin Shalmala, there are no illusions. In the Basin Shalmala, there are no excuses. In the Basin Shalmala, it just is what it is. So after 120, do you know what judgment is? Judgment is just having to confront the truth about the way that I lived. And I guarantee you, I can't, I can't guarantee you, but I'd like to guarantee you. The Rosh doesn't have to say a thing. He doesn't have to say a thing. When I review the events of my life and all of the excuses kind of fall away, and all of the excuses no longer hold any water because in the Olam HaMS, all there is is MS. That's Tohacha. See, I just have to make the accounting of my life is the need to look at the events of my life through the prism of MS of truth, of it is what it is. There are no excuses, there's no but this, there's no but you don't understand, there's no like let me explain, it's just MS. It's just MS, and that in and of itself, this is the greatest token of saying, I think it has to inform the way we live. Because the truth is, one of the things I think we have to try to do is live lives that don't require explanation. See, I say, if I do something and I have to explain it, right? I, it needs like a Torah, it needs like a Dafyomi Shir, right? It needs like a Shitas. Like, I'm going to show you the Rishon Achronim as to why I'm doing is right. Chances are what? It's not right. <laughs> it's not right. Isn't that the goal? To be able to live a life where my actions, they stand on their own. It doesn't need Rashi and Tosis and the Marish and the Ben Yehoyada. It's just able to stand on its own because it's MS. That's the goal. Because at the end of the day, after 120, the Tochacha is not a Kaddish Baruch Hu yelling at us. Chasson, the Rosh never raises his voice. The, after 120, Kaddish Baruch Hu saying, let's look at your life. Let's just look at it together. And I have to look at the events of my life through the prism of MS with no excuses. If we could get that right in Olam Hazeh, then Olam Haba, the world of MS, will be truly enjoyable and pleasurable. So you see Rabbi Lazar, Rabbi Lazar cried. He cried when he went over this positive. So Rabbi Lazar, Rabbi Lazar, 
When Rabbi Lazar came to this pasuk, he began to cry. What did he cry? Vayomer Shmuel Hashal. Bosa, this is actually very interesting. Lama here gastani lahalos osi. So Rabbi says, remember again, the episode over here is Shmuel Hashal is about to go out to war to the Plishtim, but he can't. God is not talking to him, so he needs to go ahead and somehow find out what the future holds. And so he goes. He raises up the spirit of Shmuel Hanavi. Now, this is an interesting story because what he does is he, he accesses it. He accesses the spirit of Shmuel through an Oviedoni, a necromancer. People who communicated with spirits through bones of the dead, which was normally a practice, which is a practice that is Asur and that Shol outlawed in the land. But nevertheless, this is how he accesses the, the spirit of Shmuel. So Shmuel says, why did you go ahead and waken me to raise my spirit? Shmuel was nervous. Shmuel Hanavi, who was a tzaddik, was scared about divine judgment. How much more so? So Shmuel, who was a tzaddik, was scared about judgment. How scared we have to be as well? To which the Torah says, Shmuel, my, what do you mean? Why, where do you see that Shmuel was scared of judgment? The Xiv, listen to this. Olim. I saw spirits rising. Olim Tremashma. So Olim means there are two spirits that she summoned. Who are the two spirits? Chad Shmuel, V'idach Da'azel Shmuel V'asyei L'moshe B'hadei. Wow. When Shmuel Hanavi realized that his spirit was being summoned, what did he do? He went and he got the Neshama of Moshe Rabbeinu along with him. Okay. Amr So why did he get, why did he get Moshe? Dilma Chas V'shom L'dina Mitabana Kum B'hadei. Shmuel thought that he was being summoned for judgment. And therefore he said, well, if I'm being such, summoned for judgment, Moshe, I'm bringing your neshama with, with you. Why? Because Moshe, I want you to testify that, that there was not one word in your Torah, Shmuel says, that I did not uphold. So also, you see from here how scared Shmuel Hanavi was about judgment. That he felt that when he, when he was being ra- ra- raised, ra- ra- raised, summoned, when he was being summoned, he thought he was being summoned for judgment. And when he's being summoned for judgment, what does he do? He brings the spirit of Moshe Rabbeinu along with him. If Shmuel Hanavi is scared about judgment, and Abelazah says, how nervous we have to be as well. Rabbi Ami Kimati Lahai Krabahi. So Rabbi Ami, when he got to the final Pasik, used to cry, what's the Pasik? He puts dust in his mouth, which means a person humbles himself. Perhaps there will be hope. Perhaps if a person, right? Perhaps if a person humbles himself, ultimately again, there'll be hope. So the Gemara says, If I humble myself, then maybe there'll be hope. This is interesting. What Rabbi Ami was crying about was, nothing is guaranteed in life, right? Isn't this an incredible thing? Even if a person humbles themselves to the point that literally, again, their mouth is by the dust, maybe Hashem will show me favor. In other words, there are no guarantees about the way life works out. Rabbi Ami Kimati Lahai Krabachi, Bikshu Tzedek, Bikshu Anava, Ulai Tistiru Biyom Af Hashem. Seek out justice or charity. Seek out humility. Perhaps you will be shielded on the day of God's wrath. Amar Kulehai Ve'ulai. All of this, so you tell me, even if I go ahead and I seek out tzedek and I seek out humility, maybe I'll be shielded. I will say, these are very important gemaras. Because what the gemara is saying is like this. You have to do the right thing in life. But there's a very dangerous thing, which is, don't do the right thing in life because you think that that assures you certain results. 
there are no guaranteed results in life, right? In other words, spirituality is not a vending machine. You know, if you put in $1, you're getting the bag of chips because you typed in E6, right? So if you type in E6 into the vending machine, so D4 is not going to come out. Spirituality is not a vending machine. You could put in your dollar, you'll get something. What you get, when you get it, how you get it, those are things that are part of the Ribono Shal Olam's world. And this is very dangerous because too often we take the vending machine approach to Ruchnius. And we assume that if I put in the Ruchnius, I put in the Torah, I put in the Tefillah, I put in the Tzedakah, oh, I'm for sure, right? Come on, come on, give, give it back. Do you get something back for your Ruchnius? Absolutely, unequivocally, yes. But when, how, what? Those are part of how the Ribbono Shal Olam runs the world. And that's what these Rabbanim are crying about. You know, you could lead a very pious life. You could lead a very pious life. And do you get something for it? Absolutely, absolutely. Does it shield you in times of need? Does it give you what you need in your moment of greatest need? Sometimes yes and sometimes no. That's why I don't serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu for what I'm going to get out of it. I serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu because it's the right thing to do. Because I believe at the end of the day, that's what allows me to be successful in life. And that's what gives me what I need in order to be successful in life. Does it protect me in every moment that I need protection? In some ways, yes. Perhaps in other ways, no. Does it pave the way for an easy life because I do the right things? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. But you do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. I serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu because it's the right thing to serve the Melech Malchayam Lochim. The Gemara goes right there. The Gemara says... Ravasi, and with this Ravasi, when Ravasi got to this particular Pasak, he would cry, Same idea. Despise evil, love good, establish yourself in the gates of justice, perhaps Hashem will show you favor. Ultimately, you can do all of these things. Ravasi saying, What? Ulai. Perhaps you'll be saying, the Rebosei is so incredibly important. Now, remember again, the reason why these psukim are phrased, Rebosei, is because there is a profound, existential, theological danger when a person, again, approaches Ruchnius like a vending machine. Because once again, there's going to be that time, and it inevitably happens to all of us, where I feel I'm doing everything right, yet, why am I not getting what I quote-unquote deserve? And Rebosei, that's the danger. That's why the Ulai. Do you get something out of your Ruchnius? Absolutely. Does the Chalash Baruch Hu take care of you? Absolutely. But the when, the how, the what, those are all part of the Ribbon Shalom's great plan. So that's why I will say, but you see these great Rabbanim crying, because you could do everything right in life, but it doesn't mean that it is a guarantee for an easy existence. And this is sometimes one of the hardest theological pills to swallow. You could do everything right but it doesn't mean life is easy and it doesn't mean life goes according to plan. That's why I don't serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu because I think I'm going to get the bag of chips. I don't serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu because I think what you put in is what you get out. And if I scratch your back out, you're going to scratch mine. I serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu because at the end of the day, it's the right thing to do. I serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu because it's a schos to serve. And I serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu because I know at the end of the day, when I do my part in Avodah Hashem, I become better and the world becomes better. But so we'll stop over here for today. Shkayach, everyone, incredible, incredible daf. We'll say, just the beginning, Chagiga. Chagiga. Chagiga, Chagiga. Thank you, Yibam Shalom, for a Chagiga.
enlightenment, and I, 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 you know, one of the things that I was thinking of in, in the terms of tearing one's clothes makes one a shelter. But when one sees a Torah in this rekas, one has to tear it twice. Right. Temporary insanity is commanded under the circumstances in which you see something like that. You are supposed to go bonkers. Or is it insanity? I, I don't know, because the truth is, Kriya in general, Kriya in general is a 